Hi, friends. Welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word wherever you are and take away something to ponder. We live in a loud, busy world that can make it hard to find the time to get into God's Word. So I'm grateful for these few moments we have together to ponder the book of Philippians. I've entitled this series, Unveiling Joy. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 86. I serve in the area of discipleship at my church, and lately my team and I have been discussing what a mature Christian looks like, as in their behavior, attitude, influence. Not that we in any way think we have arrived, but as we're called to equip the church, we want to know what does that end goal look like? We're asking because we want to set the conditions for that type of growth to happen at our church, not only for those there, but for us as well. So let me ask you, what do you think are the characteristics of a mature follower of Jesus? And when you think of those characteristics, do you want to reflect them in your life? Here's why I ask. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you, which is 2 Corinthians 13.11. And John in 1 John wrote this, to those who are mature in their faith. Okay, so maturity is a thing. And these verses give us a bit of an idea of how maturity would be lived out by encouraging others, living in harmony with others, being joyful, growing, filled with the love and peace of God. Yet, we know it can't be some type of exam we can achieve with an A. It's it's a way of life, maturity is. It's a belief, a faith element So in our discussions as a team, we've kind of moved toward this definition. A mature believer is someone that has learned where their true faith and strength come from and can stand faithful in the face of hardship because of their spiritual foundation in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit within them. Or in short, someone that lives completely for Jesus and in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, no matter what. Okay, there's a lot more to that conversation, but today's passage has me thinking about this because I'm reminded of how far Paul's faith has come since those early days of his ministry. We begin today in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Paul's words here lead me to think that the Philippians have shared some concerns with him about all that has been happening to him. I mean, he starts with, well, I want you to know. So what happened? Well, from the account in Acts, we discover that Paul had been beaten more than once, left in prison for years, shipwrecked, stuck on an island for months, 
and was again back in prison. Yet he's saying that in all of that, he sees God at work. Now, these to me are words of someone who has come to a maturity of faith. Rather than focusing on the hardship, he sees the wonder of the spread of the gospel. It is so completely not about him, but about Jesus. Remember, when Paul was in Philippi, he and Silas were miraculously released from prison and all the charges against them were dropped. The Philippians have to have been wondering, why isn't God doing something miraculous for Paul at this point? They don't see it. But Paul, from his vantage point, is able to see the bigger picture in all that has happened to spread the gospel. Back in Philippi, the prison guard's entire family was baptized. In that shipwreck, no lives were lost. And now an entire island had the gospel. And even at this moment, under arrest, he's doing God's work. He hadn't let his circumstances deter him from doing the work of the gospel. In fact, he had taken advantage of every opportunity given. He goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, everyone knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul wasn't just sitting around moping and feeling sorry for himself. He continued to do the work God had placed before him sharing the good news with Gentiles. So from the palace guard to the believers in the area, he is telling of Jesus. He's living in prison, a less than ideal place, of course. But Paul is fruitful even there. In fact, we know that he was able to write many letters while in prison. This letter to the Philippians is one of them, as well as the Ephesians and the Colossians. Have you ever noticed that when we see the courage of someone else, we start to feel a bit more courageous too? Or when we see how God provides in someone else's life, we begin to believe that he can provide for us too. And, and that's what's happening for those around Paul. They see his attitude of joy in spite of his circumstances. They saw that God took care of him in this situation. And they saw that God was still using him even while in prison. And these things encouraged them and gave them emboldened faith as they went out. Many times the faith of others is a catalyst for us. It's one we need when we're facing something hard. It's, it's why testimonies are so important. Our stories can help others see Jesus. And Paul's story was reaching many, including the Roman guards holding him. So I'd like you to ponder this for a moment. How do you see God in your story when you look back on it? Where do you see Him at work? And as you think of your story, does someone come to mind that needs to hear it, to be encouraged in their faith through what God has done for you?
In the next verses, Paul addresses something that I think hits close to our current culture. We're going to start back at verse 14 and go forward. And because of my imprisonment, Paul wrote, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. The Philippians must have expressed concern about those that were preaching with less than pure motives, preaching out of jealousy or selfish ambition. Paul knew that some were preaching to surpass him, to build something that's larger, to become more known. In fact, he knows that some are glad he's in prison because that gives them an edge over him. But as he shares with the Philippian church, he knows this isn't about him, not his name, not his fame. It's about bringing people to Jesus. And if that is happening, in spite of the selfishness of the preacher, it is still happening. And he can celebrate that. Again, a maturity that he would not have shown in his younger years and a maturity I'm not sure I would have shown at that point. But I think this is good for us to process. A bad pastor doesn't make the work of Christ bad. Today, we hear of this pastor or that leader in the church falling to sin, and we tend to lump their whole church in with them and dismiss the fact that Christ was still at work. The sin of a leader is not the sin of the whole. Church competition. I find it so sad that this is a thing, and if I'm honest, I'm not surprised it's been around since before Paul. Humans enjoy competition. It's football season as I record this, and I see jerseys and sweatshirts everywhere in support of a favorite team. It's fun. It's basically harmless, and until it's not. Until the line is crossed into doing whatever it takes to win. We want to be faster more successful, wealthier. We love it in sports and in business, and many times in the church. If you're a pastor or church leader listening to this today, then you know what this can look like. We hear, I have X number of people in the pews on Sunday. My church gives X to the poor. My church is seen X places around the world. I am asked to speak all over. I have a book. It's a thing that can lead a righteous person down an ugly road towards selfish ambitions. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. I mean, did you notice all the my and I statements? I learned early in ministry that these words can be the beginning of a slippery slope. That ownership is wonderful. But it's not on me. 
And when I began to focus on the language of our ministry and our mission, it shared that ownership with God and with those around me. And it helped me to remember that it's God's ministry through us. It's not mine. It's not about me. And Paul reminds us that there is a deep blessing when the work of God is shared with others. He did know that some pastors were doing great things, and he recognized them. He was able to see past the less than great ones and rejoice that Jesus was being shared. That joy in him ran deep. Mm, Oh, that we could do this. That we could look past the failings and disagreements and rejoice that God's work is happening in spite of the differences, in spite of sin. If we could, I wonder if we would discover a deeper joy like Paul's. Now, I know this kind of thinking takes growth, which happens over time, and patience with ourselves as we discover more about forgiveness and grace. Yet we like to evaluate. So let me ask you, if you were to self-evaluate where you are in your spiritual journey right now, where would you say you are? Here's a few choices. A newbie just learning what this Christianity thing is all about. A learner. On the road, but there's more to discover. A builder. You have a foundation and you're building on it with your thoughts and actions. An integrator. Seeking to integrate Christ into every aspect of your life. Or a mature follower. Solid, fully invested, and steady in who you know you are in Christ. Although we like to evaluate, I do think there are those that I know that are mature in their faith, yet I know they would say they haven't arrived. I'm not sure anyone should ever feel like they have arrived in their faith journey. God is infinite. And there is always more to learn, experience, or enjoy with Him. Yet, we need to remember that no matter where we might place ourselves, God sees you as His child, one in whom He delights and dwells. He doesn't grade our faith. He encourages us to grow and discover more of Him, to see our lives become Christ-centered, and to see us experience His His deep joy, not because of a grade, but just because He loves us. And He knows the wonder of what can happen within our souls as we grow and mature in Him. Oh, dear one, may the faith of Paul encourage your heart today as it did with those he walked with years ago. May you see how God is at work despite the circumstances that might be around you today. And may you see past those that would distract you with their behavior and look to Jesus. Experience his deep joy in you. You are his delightful one. And may you walk into that joy today. I want to remind us of those words of Paul as I close. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. You are loved. Amen.